The matter of reparations is one of making amends and direct redress, but it is also a question of citizenship. In H.R. 40, this body has a chance to both make good on its 2009 apology for enslavement and reject fair-weather patriotism. To say that a nation is both its credit and its debt, that if Thomas Jefferson matters, so does Sally Hemings. That if D-Day matters, so does Black Wall Street. That if Valley Forge matters, so does Fort Pillow. Because the question really is not whether we will be tied to the somethings of our past, but whether we are courageous enough to be tied to the whole of them. Thank you. You also worked with them to oppose busing. And, you know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public school. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. 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 Welcome to the Black Sublime Podcast, and this is your host, Mr. Haberdashery, a.k.a. Aolis White, a.k.a. Why you gotta act like that? Um, And welcome, welcome. I'm very, very excited to do this episode and share this episode with you. It's interesting because I'm never quite sure whether I'm going to... Like, how political I'm going to go. And just, I guess, what type of political I should go. Because it's not a question of going political. It's a question of, I'm already political. The conversations that I have are political what is discussed is political, you know, just how we engage with each other, how we navigate these cultural spaces, how we do all of this. This is by necessity political. Um, But then I think about, well, how electoral do I want to go, right? How governmental do I want to go? And I haven't quite figured that out yet. So what I've decided to do, hold on going to turn my other music down because I can feel it bleeding in my mic. Um, what I'm going to do is just talk about a general theme of accountability. Talk about at least what I have gleaned from um, the conversation, the national conversation, and not talk about it in the context of the news, but to talk about how accountability has affected my life and what that means for me as an artist, as a queer person, as a queer person of color, as a man, like as a lover, as someone trying to, as someone who's like perpetually single, like all of these things, right? Um, So I feel like it would be an interesting thread to sort of embark or a conversation to have with you guys, or at least just share some of my thoughts. So before I mentioned that I wanted to do a cocktails segment, and I think I'm going to do that now. I think that's the drop I want for cocktails, but I'm not actually sure. There are two stories, though, that I'd like to share the second one is less of a story because as I thought about it, it changed meaning even in the five or so minutes that I sort of pondered it. But the first one's really interesting. So 
A year ago, I met this dude on Jacked. He's a proper Jamaican man. He was 34 at the time, because I think he turned 35 in September. But, you know, proper Jamaican, only been here for four years, came here for his family. Complicated drama from that end, not my business to touch to really share, but um, is here is in the finance industry and you know he's muscular and super super masculine super super conventionally masculine and when we met you know we were talking about life and we were talking about sex and I just expressed how I felt like how his body made me feel so I talked about essentially just wanting to fuck him um which was interesting because in the sort of in the gendered energy of the entire thing, like I have more of a feminine energy than he does, and he's a muscle guy, and I'm kind of like you know I'm naturally kind of snatched, low key, low key, low key. But you know, and I go to the gym or whatever, so I'm not going front, but you know, I'm not. He goes to the gym six times a week, like nah, no. So. Long story short, we get... Well, actually, no, he calls me um, on my Google Voice number because, you know, he didn't have my number number. He still don't. But he called me and was like, oh, when you told me that she wanted to fuck me, I was kind of like, wow, like, this is... Most people want it the other way around. But that's exactly what I'm looking for. And I was like, okay, cool, whatever. We met up. We started a sexual relationship. Um... He told me at the first time we met, he was not looking for a boyfriend. I was like, great. Neither am I. Like, okay, whatever. But then as we kept sleeping together, he was like, well, do you want to go out to eat? And I said, sure. We went out to eat twice. And then he was like, well, I want to meet your friends. Like, he sort of started to run, like, you know, stage a coup. I shouldn't say stage a coup. That's fucked up. But, like, you know, got in his bag, whatever. So, but then he's like, you know, if we were to do something more, like, I can tell you're not serious, but if we were to do something more, you would have to, you know, be less feminine. Like, you couldn't, you couldn't paint your nails colors, because at, at the time, I was painting my nails, because I was working in a corporate environment, well, a, a, a tech startup environment, so I could really do that. Now that I'm in the hospitality, I can still do it, but I don't like, ch- I don't like chip nails. I don't like the way I look, so no. Um... Regardless, he was like, you know, you could, you would have to, you couldn't wear, you know, I wear really short shorts when I'm in my home mood. You couldn't do that, you know, no, you would have to do that in the house, but when we go out, you know, whatever. And I was like, I'm never going to do that. Like, first of all, I no, you're not my type. Like, this is not happening. But even if it, even if I did like you like that, um, no. Like, I have worked so hard. I have sacrificed. I have to become who I am, to be able to walk out the house and wear what I want and navigate that danger with courage, right? Understand that adversity could come about, that my safety is not guaranteed, but still put what the fuck I want on and express my masculinity and my femininity in the way that I do, like... To even express my sexuality or sensuality through clothes or through whatever it is. Like, I have gone through so much. Like, are you crazy? You know, on top of the fact that just all of it, like, a man, another person controlling, like, all of this shit is not, none of it, right? 
So I say this, he ghosts me, which is fine, right? Because in the context, like I was essentially ending it, but it's just like, and you respond with ghosting, cool, you get in your bag, I don't give a fuck, no fucks. Like negative fucks, like don't care at all. So three weeks ago, though, he hits me up on Jacked. Which is crazy because I don't even be on Jack like that. What I hate about Jack is that people can hit you up like at any time. Whereas like Grinder, if you're not like if you're not active on Grinder, you're not getting any messages. Whereas Jack, if they remember you, they can just message you and whatever. So he hits me up. I don't know who it is because he doesn't have a Facebook. But then he calls me. He calls me David, which was the fake name that I gave him, but, but it's not my fake. It's a real name. It's my middle name, but you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. So I know it was him. We start talking. We reconnect. Um, he texts me, you know, started with a good morning text. You know how niggas think they're doing a lot with telling you good morning, even though I say good morning to pretty much everybody. Like, good morning. Anyway, I had to be raised to say good morning because I actually hated speaking in the morning. I still am not a morning person. But literally in my family, if you don't say good morning to somebody, you are rude. So you sending me a good morning text, like the default shit does nothing for me. It doesn't. No dicks get hard, no assholes open, no hearts, none of that, right? So he did that. We we um, texted back and forth. And then I told him, I was like, well, he asked me if I missed him. And I said, no, I don't miss you. No, I don't miss you. Your mentality is I never want to go out with you again. And if we start fucking, I mean, maybe if I just want some muscle booty. But the truth of the matter is, I am not safe with you. So I don't have any desire to keep this going because your mentality kills people like me. You know, it. your mentality at the very least, at its most peaceful, leaves me abandoned in times of trouble. Like... No, you know, and that he and I said that, and I guess the point of this story, or what bothered me most about the dynamic, is I know why you're here. You may not know why you're here, but I know why you're here. You're here because I, because I. I'm open to all, but not, I shouldn't say all, but because I have, I am, my gender expression, my energy is open and, and open to your expression. You know, I am not forcing you to play a role, a heteronormative role. Like the lack of heteronormativity in my spirit as a queer person allows you to be free. So, which heightens your orgasm, it feel, it gives you the fantasy that you want or whatever your physiological, it does this for you. It gives you a psychological safe space. My queerness allows you to be safe. What's crazy is that you are trying to snuff out the thing that makes you feel safe and you don't even know that. Like, that's the gag is the reason that you're here, you are trying to get rid of. Like, why you, why you check for me after a year, uh, you know, while, you know, you, you're, your asshole's dry. You know, you ain't, it's because when they see you as a black man, as a Jamaican, you know, as a map, they want you to play a role. 
So now you have this warring fantasy. Your fantasy versus their fantasy. Their fantasy, both fantasies are informed, right, by white supremacy, patriarchy, whatever. But your sexual desire is more is less defined. So you're so when you go into the world and people want you to play a role, you leave unsatisfied because you cannot be fully seen. So then you come to someone like me who's like, "Okay, girl, this is regular." And now you mad, right? And but but I shouldn't say you mad, but now you want to snuff change me into you. Not happening. So I thought about whether or not I should say this, but I mean, I think in in general, the community, the queer community, and this, I mean, I'm saying queer because I'm being nice, but I think it happens in all the marginalized communities. I think we all kind of suffer from this sort of thing where we reproduce the oppressive regimes, like their standards on on, on our own community and are never held accountable for it and then are upset that we are have created a reality that we cannot be ourselves and that we cannot thrive and or we are unhealthy or dying or whatever. And I'm not blaming us for murder. I'm talking about this type of dynamic um, in a romantic context. Um, and... It's really accountability manifesting itself. It's karmic in some ways. It's, but it's not even spiritual. It's not mysterious. That's the thing. Like I don't even want to say karma because that there's a mystery. There's a sort of, you know, uh, mystery religiosity and in, in that in that dogma. You know what I mean? This is. This is just common sense. <laughs> this is basic logic. You don't need any of that shit to to know that what you're doing is fucking you up. And now you are paying the price for it. Um, but some shit, my own fuck shit that I did. Well, kind of. So when I first started thinking of this segment, I was like, well, you know, I had a situation with another lover where I lied in sex. Like we were having sex. We were in this moment. And I said that, I, well, he said that he liked me. And, you know, I normally laugh. I don't say, I don't, shouldn't say I laugh. I normally let people live their lives. Live your fantasy. I'm not going to say anything. Um, but instead of doing that or ignoring it like I typically do, I told him that I liked him too. And as soon as I said it, well, Think about it is I'm an awful liar. So I didn't actually say, oh, I like you. Like, you know, I said something like, I said, I didn't say, oh, I like you too. Like with that love. I was like, I mean, I like you. <laughs> Which is trash. Like that is nothing. There's nothing. And I, he is cool. I mean, that's essentially, oh, you cool. And he is cool. And then when I thought about sharing the story, I was like, okay, so now you a trifling ass bitch, and they're gonna think you trifling, even though you are kind of trifling, but the situation calls for it. Um, but the truth of it, the funny, I, not the funny part, I guess the intellectual, I guess what, what, how I started to think differently as a result of that was I put a lot of emphasis on linguistic 
lies or like orally communicated lies. And although I really don't lie, I mean it's it's I people who know me can claim like I I'm awful at it, so I just avoid it. Um the truth is that in sex or in romance or in you know when it comes down to a high exchange of physical cues, people lie all the time. You know, or people don't know. People are lying. Well, maybe I shouldn't say that, but that's how my mind. How has that's how my mind went, or my chain of thought. It went from, you know, well, how often do I lie in sex? To well, maybe I'm lying more than I think. I'm not saying untrue words, but in the in the in the type of sex, in the type of kiss, in the. In all of the things, you know, I could be telling lies. And I think about it, um, and I'm still not sure because, you know, I try to have an integrated experience of humanity. So I don't like to treat people like just dick or just that. Like, I will talk to you. We will laugh. Like, it's just because I don't like to feel like I'm using or exploiting folks. And... You know, I'm not going to play dress up with you and have like this weird fantasy like we're lovers, but my style of engagement is sensual. So it's kind of like, I'm not lying, but perhaps I am lying, you know, and that's why there's a lot of guys that say that they don't want a relationship, and then when they meet me, they end up wanting one because maybe I have told them a series of lies through my physical cues, you know. And I don't know. I'll revisit that. I'm I'm sure I'm not going to believe it when I think through it again. But I, you know, it's just a way of holding myself accountable to being truthful through the through the variety of media that I have. You know, I can't just have a high standard for um, truth that's articulated verbally, but then be out here like with my body treating people like we're gonna be gonna get married. You know what I mean? So that's it for cocktail hour for me. So there's a lot that I thought about talking about, and I'm really not sure if we should get into all of that because you know there's. Oh, you know what? I'll talk about this. I'll talk about this. So, I've been wrestling with something that I think is this is a really undeveloped idea, but it's something that it's it's affecting the way that I engage with people that I love, both romantically or otherwise. Um, I thought about how I how I learned how we all could learn our loving styles or our styles of loving from people that we've grown up with. So our parents, our siblings, our grandparents, our first friends. I've been blessed to have a lot of my friends in my life since I was very young. So a lot of them are still my friends. Um, But, you know, how even generationally, you know, there's a generational style of loving when you think about particular narratives. So um, as a specific example, I've been thinking about love and respect and growing up 
in my environment, I did not always see them live together where, you know, you were, we were saying the words love and we were acting, we were behaving or performing even the obligations that we associate or that generation associated with love. So if it's something as, you know, basic as or gendered as cooking for somebody or, you know, these things that signal love, um, but the respect portion that unadulterated admiration for beyond just oh you're a human being so i want you to have like your natural rights or whatever you know but like a a respect that's like i admire you i look up to you if i had your spirit if i had the things that you have i would feel not even I would feel better. I feel like respect as a concept evolves. But as a child, a lot of it is like, well, I want to, like, you're my hero. You know, and I, when I was growing up, there was a dearth of heroes. Like, I remember I had, my grandfather was one of my heroes. Um, but I didn't have many heroes. And though people that I had seen love or contend with love, particularly the women in my life, had to build families, uh, take care of families, uh, or sustain, build and sustain families, had to do these things with men that they signaled love to but at the end of the day, did not or could not respect them, you know, for a variety of reasons. Um, Not to say that, you know, men of that generation were respectable. Yes, they're, you know, blah, 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 blah. But a lot of the struggle that comes with um, loving downtrodden people or, you know, (laughs) I'm not going to say that. Well, actually, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say that. I'm going to get in my bag. Um, loving downtrodden people are people with a lot of trauma that comes from both the home and you know their societal position. Um, sometimes comes with not getting what you need out of that dynamic. Sometimes it comes with dealing with someone's trauma and having to teach them and bring them to a spot that ends up costing you in the end. And a lot of times, these dynamics that are blended, so they have a parental element and that you're teaching them foundational elements of like psychological health, like how to do, how to take care of themselves. And these relationships that, also have this romantic like co-authoring co-partnership or partnership element to it when you blend too much of that parental responsibility sometimes it compromises what it changes the nature of the type of respect that you have so your partner sort of becomes a childlike figure or someone that you that you start to say things like oh they can't take care of themselves or they you know oh he ain't going to do shit or he ain't this like those those little sentences that 
signal that you don't really respect this nigga. Like, you really don't. Like, he, whatever, the dick's bomb, and he's, you know, whatever. But he ain't, you know, those little comments are impacting our infiltrating this love that you're giving and then what you have at the end is a love that's not built on respect but is built on something like duty so when I reflect now on that dynamic or how I've learned that and how it has compromised my own joy and how I need to hold myself accountable right to to give a love that is pure and not to shit on that generation or not to shit on even that condition because a lot of that comes out of necessity or gener- or you know just gener- what do they say intergenerational trauma pain like there's a long list of things that that relates to um or potentially relates to but in my life I realized okay um, I need to do better. Now, leaving love, leaving this, I started the podcast with um, a testimony by Anton Hasey Coates. Um, for mostly, oh, I guess he's probably known best for his books he wrote. Um, was it Between the World and Me or something? I read it, but I wasn't in love with it, but I don't want to get catch any like super uh, progressive liberal shade, but whatever. And, uh, but he's mostly known for, he wrote the case of reparations uh, uh, several years ago, published by the Atlantic. He was writes for the Atlantic all the time. He's really been championing this, championing this. Um, and then I led it into um, Kamala Harris's response or really attack on Joe Biden for his position on busing, um, which I just, I did it because to me they're both about accountability, but I found, I wish this were audio visual because I, I love, I can share the, the, the gifs or the gifs that I saw both, well, for the Kamala Harris one was hilarious. So I just, it just impacted me. And for, um, Tanhisi Coates. I just I feel like the reparations conversation really fits thematically and 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 in my belief system. So I wanted to introduce that. But this won't be about this final point. Will not be about reparations. This final point would be was going to be about. Um, now I have two points, and I will say them both, but then choose which ones to expound upon. There's this idea that I've been playing with, with anti-intellectualism, um, which is really a, a sens- adopting a sensuality in activism, right? So there's a kind of sensual activism that isn't sexual. When I say sensual, I mean really incarnated, something that is attached to the body um, in a literal sense. And this idea of betrayal as a trope, which might make the most sense to connect it to. And then the third one, so I actually lied when I said two, um, this concept of academic blackness. 
which one to choose? Which one to choose? Um. Ew. Maybe betrayal as a trope. Maybe. Um. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Yeah, but see, it's, they're all kind of related. So I'm just going to shoot from the hip and then I'll expand on it in the next podcast. Um, should I remember? But, I mean, what attracted me to, to the anti-intellectualization thing or what that even means is, you know, I'm not saying that I'm an anti-intellectual, so that might be the wrong language. But I'm really pro, as I said, a sensuality of activism, which to me means, you know, we work on physically processing or physicalizing pain and struggle and not saying, oh, we adopt it as uh, something that compromises our health because that's what happens if you truly physicalize these things. But understand that, understand what death and dying, like what death and dying actually looks like. So when we talk about, you know, people being murdered or um, people not getting their just due or even making a case reparations when, you know, Coates was talking about you know, all the people, the black, but he really advocates for us to acknowledge our entire history, um, including, well, mainly the systematic um, oppression, murder, exploitation, etc. of black people. I think sometimes the, the words murder are the words exploitation are the, these words, particularly the more syllables they have, get really far apart from the sensory experience of watching or being um, exploited. And I think for me, what helps me re-energize is to say, yo, I know that I'm capable of reading a lot of complex texts about these things and know, um, yeah, I can probably watch a good movie or something, you know what I mean? But what I really try to do is establish an empathetic um, connection with either my ancestors or the afflicted to try to put it in my body what this means. Um, and it helps me care more about about these things, right? And it helps me fight harder and be more innovative and, you know, understand what's at stake better. And I feel like a lot of times, or I shouldn't say a lot of times, I feel like we, a lot of the movement has become very academic, um, very intellectual, and we've sort of lost that um, fire. The other points I think I'll want to get into in the next podcast, um, because Coach is a good example of um, not him himself, but him sort of being a figurehead for what I'm calling academic blackness, and I would like to discuss that. Um, and betrayal as a trope, I, the more I think about it, we don't actually need to discuss that. I think it's really implicit. And yeah, I think I can sort of weave that in. Um, just fun stuff before I go. Pride was this weekend. I had a blast. You know, you, I was acting up, but not as much as I should have probably or could have um 
And I'm just really excited about July. I think a lot of beautiful things are going to happen um, for me. And yeah, I'm happy to share that with you. So have a beautiful first week of July. Have a beautiful 4th of July if you're celebrating. And I look forward to sharing more with you soon. Much, 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 much love. And see you next time.